and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Then verse 8. And finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything that's worthy of praise, think and focus on these things. And what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me do or practice in the God of peace will be with you. Most of you would agree with me when I say that prayer is a wonderful means by which we obtain peace. Amen? We take our burdens to God and lay them at His feet, and He's someone who can do anything, and He loves us. And to know that we have access and invitation from Him for that is just brings an incredible peace to us. And uh, a lot of us today have some things we need to go to Him and lay the burden on Him. And He invites us to do it. Paul just uh, seems to be go beyond himself here in talking about this peace that comes in answer to prayer. In verse 7 of Philippians 4, he says, And the peace which passes all understanding. Just, I can't even comprehend the kind of peace that comes when I go to God in prayer. And I lay those things at his feet. He says it will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He can help you, keep you from having a nervous breakdown. We don't want nervous breakdowns. Those are not good. Paul says here prayer will keep you from that and, and, uh, and bring you a tremendous peace. But then he goes on in verse 8 and 9. I don't, I don't know if you caught this or not. Did you, did you notice the change he makes it's almost like he's introducing something better than prayer. He's just used transcendent language about prayer. Don't worry about anything. In everything by prayer, take it to God with thanksgiving, and his peace will keep your heart and mind. Further, he says, if you will put your thoughts on these things, whatever is uh, true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, and if there's any excellence or praiseworthiness about it, he said, if you, what you've seen in me, those kind of things, if you'll do it, the God of peace will be with you. The difference is, do you want simply the peace of God or the God of peace? I mean, do you want one of his blessings, peace, or do you want him, the fountainhead of all blessing? And, and he puts this in a way which is like in verse 9, he says, if you do these things, if you think on these things, if you put a filter on your thought life, the God of peace 
in a special way, in a manifestation of his joy and presence will show up. And, and it's even better than the prayer life that brings peace. Because you know pagans can pray. But true prayer that obtains the presence of God in a special way is formed out of right thinking. The Bible just does not show any boundaries when it comes to the importance of your mind and your thought life. A.W. Tozer said that the most important thing you have is your view of God. That's the most important thing in your Christian faith. So in terms of peace, what is better than prayer? One brings the peace of God, according to verse 7. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts. But the other brings the God of peace, verse 9. If you do these things, the God of peace will be with you. So what's, what seems to step up? One of his blessings, is that what you want? Or the God of all blessings? Which do you prefer? And what I thought we would do is just walk through uh, very briefly this morning. We'll walk briskly through these eight words in verse 8 of Philippians 4 on that if you filter your mind according to these eight words, Paul promises that the God of peace will be with you, which is better than simply prayer when the peace of God comes. This brings the very God of peace. And when God comes, he'll bring peace, but he'll bring a lot of other good things as well. In other words, this one will give you one of the boxcars on the train. This one will give you the engine which pulls the whole, all of it together, and you can get all of it into the station at one time. So let's look at these. The first word that he uses here in verse 8, and I, I emboldened these, I've uh, uh, underscored them so that you can catch them as we go through them. This is the King James Version, by the way. The, but the, some of them are the same as what will be in your version. But the first one is, if you think about what is true, John 17, verse 17. Sanctify them, Jesus said, through your truth. Your word is truth. Our, th our thought life tends to be manipulated by circumstances and very plastic and rubbery. We have to bring it within the parameters of God's Word in order for the thoughts to be healthy and accurate. We want truth. Truth is the foundation of it. So we would recommend to you that you read Scripture on a regular basis. Try to read through the Bible. But brothers, whatever is true, the second word is whatever is honest or noble. The New International Version uses the word noble. Uh, whatever is worthy, respectful. Uh, some things are true, but, you know, do you talk about them? Uh, <clears throat> you, you can sit down with someone who, have you ever heard somebody say this? Uh, after they just shared a juicy bit of gossip, they say, well, it's the truth. 
Well, yes, so you got one point right, but the next point is whatsoever things are honorable, does it elevate? It may be true, but listen to what Proverbs 17, verse 9 says. He who covers an offense promotes love. But if you just repeat a matter, and in parentheses I'd put even if it's true, if you just repeat a matter, you can separate the closest of friends. But if you cover an offense, you're promoting love. You see, it may be true, but do you need to promote it? Do you need to publicize it? How about covering it? What God did with your sins, you might consider doing with other people's sins. And this is the idea behind the word honorable. The, the, The word has to do with that which is noble or worthy. Not just what is true, but what is worthy. It needs to be some, the things you focus on need to be true things. And the things you focus on need to be noble things. Here's a third word. Whatever is just. Now nearly all the versions translate that word the same way. Whatever things are just. And that is a word which means that which is fair or equitable. Um, In other words, there's two sides. You're not just letting one person spin the whole story. I was was listening to some of the debates the other night. I don't know if you all caught any of the Republicans debating. And uh, and I first listened to one as he um, criticized the other one, and I thought, boy, he he just undone him. That, That guy's finished. And I thought... I think I'm going to vote for this guy. He's good. And then they gave a time for the other one to respond. And he just shredded the first guy with facts and figures and truths. And and I'm like, whoa, that guy's the one that's got my vote. (laughs) And then they let him respond to his response. And by the time I was done, I didn't know who to vote for. I'm not for any of them. I don't. I vote for Jesus. <laughs> I, I don't know. But here is a verse. It, it amazes me how we can put one thing, say, say it one way. Listen, folks, we've got to get balance and fairness and equity. And listen to this verse, Proverbs 18, 17. The first one to come and make his case... Seems right. But wait till his neighbor comes and examines him. Before you draw your conclusion, you hear the story. Your child comes home from school and the teacher got on her and she's giving you the story. I can't believe the teacher did that. Well, we'll go right up there and fix that. The first one who pleads his case seems right. But wait till you hear the rest of the story. Put your mind, see, these are the parameters. Let your mind, focus your mind, discipline your mind so that those are the things. Number four word up here is pure. Again, most of them translate that word as pure. Vine's Greek dictionary says it means like innocent, 
childlike. First uh, Corinthians fourteen twenty says, "Brothers, be mature in your thinking in regard to evil. Be infants. Be innocent. But in doctrine, be adults. In evil, in sinfulness, be a child." I, I was telling uh, some young people the other day that I said I have I'd never seen marijuana. Um, I'd never seen a doobie. And now I smoked something in the dark one time that had a, quite an effect. No, I'm just kidding. On that. <laughs> no, no. I if. If you said to me, let's go score, by, you know, get a, I guess that's what you would say. Uh, <laughs> but we're going to go out, we're going to get a marijuana cigarette. You know what? I, I would not have a clue where to go. I wouldn't know who to talk to, what house to visit, phone numbers, nothing. But there's some people, none of them are here, but there's some people that they could get a, Marijuana cigarette in 15 minutes. They are advanced in evil. They know how to do it. There are some websites. You don't want to know how to get to those websites. Right? In evil, be little children. I'm undeveloped. That's what he, Paul says. Be undeveloped. Be inexperienced. Now in doctrine... Be mature and advanced. That's what Paul means in 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Well, whatever is pure, whatever is, is innocent, think on those things. Put limits and curbs on your curiosity. Some things you just don't need to be an expert at. And then whatever is lovely. That's the next word. And... And that is a lovely word. Let me give you the Greek word that Paul uses when he writes this. It's pros, which means toward, and phileo, affection, uh, or love, brotherly love, like Philadelphia. You see that you can hear the phileo in that, Philadelphia, uh, love of brothers. So pros phileo means that you lean toward that which is friendly and affectionate. You have a bias toward friendliness. And you focus on the thing that builds the relationship. That which is loving, that which is lovely, that which is focuses on the friendly side of it. Uh, here's the way Paul put it in Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore follow or pursue the things which make for peace and the things with which we may edify one another. Now, see, you can pursue the things that make for discord. You can also pursue the things that make for unity. 
you husbands and wives, you, you know there are certain buttons. You can push those buttons and have you a wonderful evening, right? <laughs> There's some buttons you don't push. Whatsoever things are lovely, that's what you focus on. So you turn your attention toward those things that, that lean toward making the friendship alive. That's the literal meaning of that word. What would cause him to be a friend? There are certain doctrinal things that, you know, we, we just need to be careful about emphasizing the areas in which we disagree and focus and put our emphasis on the areas in which we agree. And I'll tell you, uh, we believe the Bible, we believe in Jesus Christ, we believe he, was, he died for our sins, rose from the dead, is coming again, we believe his atonement is sufficient to cover any sinner who will put their faith in him. We believe those things. Now, outside of that, we need to give each other some leeway. But whatever is lovely, don't focus on the things that, that, that cause the division. But what is positive about a person, their life, a job? What do you like about your job? Maybe, maybe you don't like the pastor. Use your imagination here. <laughs> but you know what I'd do? I'd say, you know, before I leave this church, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to make a list of ten things that I love about the pastor. And if you have a problem with getting figuring out ten things, give me a call, I'll, I'll help you with it, your list. But you can do that with anything. But don't focus on those things that annoy you, but those things which cause joy. Satan will pinpoint and magnify in your mind the things that make for division. He will pinpoint, he will say, look at this. Did you see what they did or what they said or how they said it? He will, he'll find the negative in it pinpoint it, zero in on it, magnify it up, and flash it on the screen of your mind to the point where it creates disharmony in relationships. Now, so that's why he says, focus what is lovely, what leans toward friendships and brotherly love. What leans toward that? What moves in that, in that direction? Then the word good report. If there's anything of good report, that is, is it appropriate? The, in, the New International Version says, is it admirable? Now this is another great Greek word. It's the Greek word is pronounced euphemos. We get our English word euphemism from this. Now, do you know what a euphemism is? It's, it's when you take something, a brutal fact of life, and then you soften it by uh, saying it a little different way with a different tone. For example, instead of saying somebody died, we say they passed away. Now, that's euphemism. Or they went to the happy hunting grounds or something. We don't just brutally come out and say, he's now a corpse. At least I don't. We say, 
something that softens the brutal facts of life. That's the word. Now here, when you look, when you look at these things that you're to focus on, uh, the word good report, the Greek word is euphemism, that which is euphemistic. That's the literal Greek word. Eu, E-U means good, and phemo means to um, that, that which brings the report, the fact. So do it in a good way. Do it euphemistically. Now what this means is you should take care in the way you communicate a thing and listen to this. Don't be afraid to give the events of life a Christian spin to them. We all spin. Everybody spins. It's not just the politicians who spin. Satan spins things. He spins the events of life. Something bad happens. Spin it to the glory of God and the good of your life. And I'll tell you, I mean, Paul did it. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. That's a spin. But it's a spin the Holy Spirit gave to Paul concerning the tribulations of life. Let God help you spin the big failures, the griefs and sorrows, and give it a spin that is from God. That's euphemism. And I, I think we just need to, to step back and look at things and let God do that for us. Uh, resilience in this area. I wrote this down about a preacher, and he was going to preach on Noah that Sunday morning, and some mischievous boys uh, came in and glued a couple of pages together in his Bible. And uh, he was preaching on Noah, and he opened it up, and he says, And here's my text. Noah took a wife, and then he turned over the page, made of gopher wood, <laughs> 300 cubits long and 500 cubits wide. He paused a moment, and he said, and she had lower second and third decks. And he stopped, and he looked up, and he said, Well, it just goes to show you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. <laughs> now, that's spin. And we can rebound from every occasion that life throws at us. We can be euphemistic, put a softer tone, put a glow on every event. Don't just give it a brutal evaluation. Don't let life make you cynical. Let the Holy Spirit make you euphemistic. Lovely. Good report. Paul was in prison in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. And he said, I'm suffering to the point of being chained up like a criminal. Paul. See, he, he could have gotten mad at the soldiers. He could have gotten mad at the jailer. He could have gotten mad at the Caesar. He could have gotten mad at the bureaucracy that kept him in prison, the unfairness of life. So many things he could have focused on. But he said, I'm suffering to the point of being chained like a criminal. 2 Timothy 2, 10. Therefore, but I endure all of these things for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ. 
Notice how he takes, he does not look at any of the bad things happening, but he says, I go through all of this because there's some, these wonderful people are coming to Christ. They're putting their faith in Christ. A church is being formed. I have chosen to limit my thoughts to the effects and the blessings that are flowing out of my life and my suffering. That's what he wants us to do. The mark of genuine Christianity is not pessimism. When I grew up, it seemed like the mark of Christianity was you had to be gloomy. The end of the world's coming. And, and nearly everybody that you know is going to hell. And you may be too if you don't get baptized at least three or four times. And, and I did. I got baptized when I was a pastor. I got baptized when I was little. And then I baptized some people. And then when I was a pastor, I got to doubting my salvation and got baptized again. I, I tell you one thing, I am not going to get baptized again. I may not be a Christian, but I am not being baptized again. <laughs> but I grew up with this pessimism, and I just and, and I, I, I thought that's the way you're supposed to be. And I learned Paul, the Apostle Paul, is full of faith and hope and love. Then he, he concludes this, this list of eight words by saying if there's any virtue in it, if it's virtuous, or if it's praiseworthy or commendable. In other words, be selective. He said, think on these things. Be selective. Is something excellent and praiseworthy? Does it have moral excellence? Is it worth discussing and talking about? Some things just aren't worth it. They're silly and stupid. In the same way with some people's past and some people's failures. One uh, old Christian lady in the church never said anything bad about anybody. Finally, one frustrated man said, You know, I never hear you say anything bad about anybody. I, I bet you'd say something good about the devil. And she thought a minute and she said, well, I will say he's a hard worker. <laughs> I knew it. You're an inevitable optimist. All right. Now, let me give you, in closing here, three things. And let's pull these up. Here are the three things so that the God of peace comes. See, this is what we're doing. We're looking at verse 8 and 9. This is the, the primary message to you this morning. If you focus on these things, verse 9 says, When you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. In verse 8, think about these things, these eight things we just gave you. Practice these things. And if you do what? The God of peace will be with you. That's what we want. We want to make a runway for the God of peace to land his cargo plane that brings full all these blessings in. Now, those are the eight things that I gave you. Now, so here's three summary statements on this passage. Number one, if you want the God of peace to come, put a filter on your mind, on your thoughts. Filter the thought life. 
Number two, give me the second. Focus the thoughts. Notice verse, the last statement of verse 8. Think on these things. The word think there comes from logos. It means to calculate, calculate it. And it's used in the continual tense. It means constantly meditate and calculate on those eight things. Let your mind be filled and full of meditation on those eight things. Um, fight for it. There's got to be a focus on and a guarding of your thought life. When I grew up in uh, White Pine, Tennessee, we, it was a farm. I grew up on a farm. We left our keys in the car. We uh, left our doors open. Um, I don't even know that we had keys to front doors. And nobody, our biggest uh, problem was the dogs coming in, not a thief. And so when we uh, moved here from, from Texas, I was in Texas, I lived out, we lived out on, uh, uh, in the country, it was the same way out there. We didn't lock our doors, didn't take the keys out of the car. When I moved to Flint, we had a car stolen right out of our driveway. Huh. Why would they take my car? And then I was at a coffee shop one day and somebody took my car and drove off while I was in the bathroom. And I left the keys in it. Huh. That's stealing. Took my car. And somebody came in our house, took a stereo right out of a bedroom, came, a, came later on, cut, a few years later, we had somebody come in and take uh, my computer. Huh. These people are thieves. <laughs> we started locking the doors and taking the keys out of the cars. And since then, nobody's broke in. And nobody has stolen our cars. And I thought we should give a whole lot more attention to our minds than we do to our possessions. You guys would not leave your doors open. You wouldn't leave the keys in your car, but you will sometimes not realize that your mind is more important than your house, and you need to lock some doors so that the enemy does not come in and steal things more important than your television. And, and I have people laughed at me for years, uh, and I... And I was. It was dumb to do that. But I didn't know. I found out. But what's dumber, what's worser, <laughs> is to leave your mind unlocked and give the world and the flesh and the devil access, unhindered access. we got to have parameters. So he says, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, Take every thought captive 
making it obedient to Christ. Isaiah 26, 3, you will, God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. But there's the third, give me, give me the third one up. Look at verse 9. And what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul says, do. And the God of peace will be with you. If you will filter the mind and focus, not just filter it, but fight and keep that focus on those things. And follow the right people. What you've seen and heard in me do. Follow the right people. I know that there are good Christian people. They've just been around despairing, gossiping, criticizing, negative, professed Christians for so long, it drug them down. I know that's the reason they're defeated. Follow the right people. You Teach your children who to have as heroes. And hold up as an example as heroes. Who do they follow? In R.T. Kendall's book on the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit uh, that we should have, he talks about the dove. And it's interesting how in the Bible that the dove is the symbol of the Holy Spirit coming upon the head of Jesus at his baptism. Do you remember that? And the dove is totally unique with all birds. And, and I can see why God would use that as a symbol. Uh, for example, the, the dove is clean. The dove does not eat uh, anything except that which is clean. It, is not, it only mates one time It's in, in life. And uh, it won't fight like a pigeon will fight other pigeons. Doves will not fight other doves. And a dove will not, you cannot make it mind you. A dove has its own patterns and perspectives. And, and uh, uh, have you ever heard of a carrier dove? <laughs> no, because they won't come to you. But you've heard of carrier pigeons, because they'll come to you. But a dove won't. A dove is a unique bird. But, but one of the things is, that they tend to shy away from noise and chaos. And uh, uh, let me give you this illustration, then I'm done. But R.T. Kendall used this. He said there was a missionary couple in Israel, and, and they had this dove that would light uh, and almost like built a little nest in, in the attic of their home there in Israel. And they loved to hear it. And... Uh, but they noticed that the dove, when, when there was chaos or loud talking or the TV was up too high, the dove would leave, and sometimes for days, even weeks. Then all of a sudden it would come back again. And the missionary couple, in their discussion, they said, well, you know, we're going to either have to, if we want the dove, we're going to have to adjust to it because it's not going to adjust to us. And that's the way the Holy Spirit's presence is. The God of peace will come. But he's not going to adjust to you. He's not going to be different than what he is. You're going to have to line up your thoughts within those parameters that Paul gives. And you're going to have to fight for that and focus on it 
and follow people, the right people who are like that. And then you'll find in some perhaps surprising moment when the God of peace just shows up and envelops you and ministers his grace to you and comforts you and strengthens you in ways that is beyond what you could get even in prayer. Let's pray together.